0: today.
1: It's another edition of the Talk
2: Podcast here on this Sunday, July 1st, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silps. You can check out the show all the time over at our friends, MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and also over at our friends, The Grueling Truth, part of the iHeart media network uh hope everybody's having a great weekend uh it's extremely uh, hot over here in new york so maybe get a chance to enjoy yourself a little bit dangerously hot i mean geez my ther- my thermometer reached 101 i haven't seen that temperature and i'm on eastern long island where you're supposed to get maybe five or six degrees less maybe 10 degrees less so i can only imagine those who are in the uh, the boroughs in the city so Stay cool, hopefully you're inside, and, and maybe you're enjoying this podcast live or on replay. Of course, this is a rare live podcast, so hopefully we'll see how the calls go. But the number to call in is 646-716-8187, and I know we got a couple of calls on hold. I will get to you. I just want to set things up. The way it's going to go is pretty simple. Uh, I'm going to pretty much stay on for an hour, and if it goes well, we'll go a little deeper. I don't know how the live call-in will go. I'll also check the the feed over at MetSmarizedOnline.com see what kind of comments come out of it. I know that you guys don't always, um, you know, want to call in. You want to bring up a comment and, and things like that. So let me set up a couple things before I get to the phone line. First of all, obviously wishing the best to Sandy Alderson. Uh, didn't I was thinking about doing something just about Alderson, and I am working on something because I think we should dive a little deeper into Sandy, and what essentially is the end of Sandy's tenure here in New York. So, um, you know, let's start with that, the serious stuff. Now, as far as Sandy Alderson's tenure here in New York, uh, let me put it to you how I look at it. I look at it as essentially a guy that had to navigate some very difficult financial situations. He had the Madoff situation off the bat when he came in, He's in the shadow of the Yankees. The Yankees were still competing and had just really come off. They were about a year removed from a World Series. And uh, he was able to take assets that I'm not sure anybody thought were realistically going to yield anything, like Carlos Beltran, who had a bad knee, and R.A. Dickey, who was a scrappy pickup, and turn them into valuable pieces. In the case of Dickey, a couple of pieces that – Help the Mets get to a World Series and nearly win a World Series. So let's put it out there. This was not an easy scenario. The Mets were a financial mess. Now, on the other flip side, what were the mistakes that Sandy made? I think the first mistake, and this ties into ownership, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. And again, I see the lines lighting up. I will get to you guys. i don't, I'm not going to go on very long here, but I want to set things up, kind of get the discussion going. The first thing is I personally thought, even though they had the Madoff situation that the Mets were going to be able to at least maybe make things interesting and compete. They had Wright and Reyes in their prime. That wasn't the case. They should have traded both those guys. And that would have been painful. That would have been the wrong thing to do in terms of fan, uh, you know, emotion, but they had to do that because they were so far away from being able to afford to invest in the team. Now, right now, They have 150, million, $160 million payroll, which I know what you're saying is below market for a New York team. But besides that, that's still a payroll with the right moves that you could compete for a wild card spot. They did not rip the team apart with Reyes and Wright. They signed Wright to a long-term deal, which you know how that has turned out. They allowed Reyes to play it out. I thought they had a good shot at signing Reyes. Uh, I don't believe there wasn't an offer made. I just don't think Reyes ever really – he knew the parameters of what the Mets were willing to offer, and he wasn't into that, and he signed with the Marlins. And let's face it, the deal he signed with the Marlins would have been a bad deal in the back half the last couple of years, which is why those long-term deals you have to be careful with. So that was his first mistake. His second mistake, and this also might tie into ownership, Terry Collins should have never been hired as the manager. Uh, what you see with Mickey Calloway is what they should have done. They should have hired somebody who could have grown with the team during the development period and build a culture and a foundation. Terry was more of a caretaker, and things kind of, you know, when things started to get better, he built that equity of the World Series, and he mentally retired after that World Series. He just physically still wanted to manage, and and that became a problem, and you're kind of suffering from that now with bringing Callaway in in a tough spot. The third thing, and this is the ultimate second guess, where Sandy went wrong and I'm as guilty as anybody, and I'll raise my hand and say I supported it, was picking Cespedes over Murphy after the World Series. Now, Murphy has a knee situation. He's got a three-year contract. I don't know what his future holds. I know he got off to a slow start with the Nationals. Uh, Cespedes was the guy at the time who had just basically carried them offensively. It would have been nice, and this goes back, I understand, to budgets and and long-term commitments, to be able to afford both. But the Mets, I think, really felt they needed to go in a different direction with defense at second base, maybe more of a uh, on-base percentage guy. They didn't believe that Murphy still had these uh, power numbers that he, they had seen in the playoffs, and, and I was skeptical. So they made Ben Zobris the priority when Zobris went you know, off the board and didn't go in their favor. I always felt that they knew Cespedes was going to come to them um, and that's why they, they held out. I don't really believe, I, I have a hard time believing that Sandy believed that Deaza was the answer at that point. So those are the three mistakes. I think the third one is a little bit of a nitpick. Um, he'll go down, I think as a GM that got the Mets to the world series. I think the fans are going to be left wanting. I think it'll be interesting. Whoever becomes the next general manager, how they handle the last couple of years of the Syndergaard, DeGrom team control. It's going to be really interesting. Um, you guys know how I want to go about it. I think when you have pitching, and if you look, and this is the final point before I get to the phone lines, if you have pitching at this level that the Mets have, you have to find a way over the next couple of years of that control to see if you could get into a position to make the playoffs, even as a second wild card, because in a short series that kind of pitching could be such a a big deal. Jay Happ, who has had a couple of nice years the last two, three years, is going to command a premium price on the marketplace because of teams like the Yankees who want pitching. And he is nowhere near as good as Degrom and a healthy center guard. I'm not even sure, you know, Stephen Matz is all that different from J-Hap. And Zach Wheeler's been coming around. So if that's what a J-Hap will fetch, or the demands at least of a J-Hap, could you imagine... I don't think teams are willing to pay the price for two years of control for DeGrom, or in the case of Syndergaard, he's until 2021. I don't think they are. So that's where I stand with that. I'll get more into Sandy Alderson. I'm trying to work on something with him, and I think we should do a podcast and examine this a little bit deeper. But set up this way, there's a lot more to get to. But let's get to the phone lines. Let's start. I think we got up in Westchester. Now, here's how I'm going to do it. Now, a couple of things before I bring up the calls. I'm going to give you area code and the first three digits of your number, which you should know. And please, look, you want to debate me, you want to come after me, you want to have some you know, back and forth, I'm okay with that. I don't get mad at that. This is just baseball. Don't ruin it for everybody else. Just don't curse. Don't use all the – that's what happened the last time. If it happens, I got to – it's not going to get on the replay. I'm going to have to edit it out of the replay, which is going to annoy me because then I'm going to have to go and do this work. Um, and I want to have productive and fun time here today. I really don't want to deal with that. I just I just don't think that you know it's any fun to do that. All right, so let's go up. I think this is Westchester, 914-649. That's your first call. 914-649, what's your name? You're on the air with Mike Silva on the Talkie Mets podcast.
3: Hey, Mike. Charles from Westchester, how are you?
2: Hey, Charles. What's going on?
3: Hey, so I, I understand what you're saying about Sandy Alderson. I think if you want to sum up his tenure, I think it was very unfulfilled, as you pointed out. I mean, yeah, he got this team to the World Series. but the fact is that he failed to get this team to the next level, and the team got progressively worse. And it's more than just Terry. Like, I know you're saying that Terry Collins was a bigger problem, was a problem with this team, and he was. But you're seeing what Sandy Alderson left, and that's a one dimensional, old, flawed team. And I think that's kind of the way you can sum up his tenure is that. He just was just very. He was a stubborn guy. He just never could adapt to the times. He was still stuck in the steroid era that he, the teams that he built in Oakland, and I think this Mets team just does not have any kind of multi-dimensional talent. There's no athleticism, and unfortunately, I mean I hate to see the way he left, but kind of the way his tenure is is that he just refused to change who he was, and. I think we're seeing it now, and unfortunately, I don't see how this team can improve unless you get rid of the dead weight of this and Bruce, and I think you have to find a GM from outside the organization that has a much, I don't know, just a clear viewpoint, someone who has no emotional attachment to these guys, and I mean, I just want to know your thoughts, I just don't see how these three new guys who are currently running the Mets, how are, like, How can you trust these guys to make these tough decisions?
2: Well, Charles, you bring up, and hold on, we'll kind of, you know, don't go anywhere. I think you bring up fair points. Here's the one thing I'll say. I think the part where the failure, and maybe just like with Omar, uh, years later, we had a better appreciation of some of the things he left. The, 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 The young talent from the minor leagues hasn't been able to supplement at a high level. Now, Brandon Nimmo is showing some promise. Um, You have Gazellman and Lugo. I mean, if you go back, and I have to bring it up. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I think it's the 2013, was it 2011 draft? I mean, there's still some players coming out of that that are producing. Uh, As as far as your comment on the three-headed GM here, uh, it is a dangerous situation. I mean, think about this. First of all, it's been widely said since Omar was hired back in 2004. Fred Wilpon looks at Omar Minaya as his son. So he's going to basically lean on Omar to either hire the next GM, be the next GM, or make serious decisions. Um, and, and to me, if I'm an outside person coming in this organization, and I was looking at some of the, the general manager prospects, I'm not sure you want to be part of this if you have a former general manager so close to the owner. It's an interesting spot because if they don't make one of these guys the GM, who's going to come in unless they just want to take the payday to do this job? knowing that Omar Mania is Fred's boy. I mean, that's really the dangerous part here. I agree. Some of the things Sandy did, I I hear what you're saying. I think this next phase is even more dangerous because it's going back to that committee approach that Fred Wilpon really likes.
3: Yeah, but the problem with that, Mike, is that if if Wilpons have such an emotional attachment, I think he's holding this team hostage because Omar didn't do the job either. I mean, I hear what you're saying about how Close the Wilpons are, but they need to tease aside and find somebody who is more in tune with the way the game is played now. That's my issue. Like, I oh, think and they, I, I agree with you. And that's
2: going to be hard for Fred. Fred Wilpon is very paternal, very loyal. And I think Sandy Alderson came in, but I think part of him coming in and Fred Wilpon being comfortable with that was his association with Major League Baseball. And I think Bud Selig basically told Fred, "Hey." We're giving you this bridge loan, and um, you got to play ball a little bit here. I don't ever think Fred would go. I agree that's the direction they should go. Like, yeah. I don't know if he'll yeah. go that
3: way. Well, the problem with that, you know? Mike, is that Fred basically let Sandy. Sa- Sandy was well past his expiration date. You know that. I know that. I mean, he was like an expired milk carton, and they just waited way too long to get rid of him. And it's sad to see the way he had to leave. But I think this just there needs to be a new perspective and a new voice that hasn't been a part of this last eight years where Sandy basically just ran this team into the ground. And it's to see Omar hand-picking somebody. I think the Wilpons just need to find somebody who has no association with this franchise and can give you an honest assessment instead of what the Wilpons really want to hear.
2: That's very, uh, that's very fair. Charles, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. That's a good way to start the show off. Uh, look, I'm very leery. I, I know they have to do something now because Sandy's on the quote-unquote leave of absence. These And again, this is the part that I understand. There's always going to be, when you're a general manager, a committee of people that you're going to talk to and get various opinions. Ultimately, it's your job, it's your responsibility to bring it to ownership. And some owners are obviously more involved than others. But believe me, owners want to be involved in their teams. Maybe Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon are obtrusively so. um, But that's okay having different opinions. My concern is that now that you don't have that filter, which Alderson would be the filter, that – you know, you would then essentially have, uh, you know, Fred going and talking to all three of these guys. And, and, you know, then you get all these different opinions. He likes Omar. You know, maybe Omar has a, a certain point of view. But really, at the end of the day, you got to really have somebody that knows, okay, here's where I, what I have. Here are the different situations in front of me. What's the best course for the franchise? I don't have a problem with Charles saying about going outside the organization, I just don't know if Omar is going to be that close to Fred. Who is that guy? And why would you come in knowing that the GM that was the GM almost a decade ago is going to be hanging around? It's a big problem. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, One thing, uh, it's almost like Omar is becoming the Mets version of Isaiah Thomas. Not as insidious, but you guys get the point. All right, let's go to New Jersey. We have – Seven three two nine zero four. You're on the air. What's your name? You're on the air with Mike Silva the Talking Mets Podcast.
1: Hey Mike, how you doing? First time, in a long time, hey Ben.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. What's going on?
1: Hey, I got a trade for you. Uh, you know, I, I really think we got a guy in our farm system that can put a lot of you know uh, people in seats. And um, you know, it, it's going to sound crazy. And you know, you could you could go back and forth on this. And I have with a couple of my buddies, but. You know Tim Tebow's really thrived in his in his athletic career give me uh tim tebow for JT trebutto straight up
2: well listen if they could pull that off j t if they could pull tebow for j t Riamoto off you know what uh to me more power <laughs> to them um look here's all I'll say about tebow uh, it's nobody liked him with uh the signing because it was a publicity stunt. And to a certain degree, it was. But the guy has pride. He's a former professional football player. There's no way these guys want to be embarrassed. Even Michael Jordan, who hadn't played baseball in years, went down and and really held his own, actually didn't play as well at Double A. different type of player, as Tebow has. So to me, I mean, it's just remarkable that Tim Tebow, I know he got named to the All-Star team, um you know who knows where that's going to go. Uh I, I hope that the Mets bring him up when he's ready and not just bring him up because you know they want to sell some tickets in September and be in the in the in, in, the, in the press. That's that's not something you want to get done. So I listen if they could pull that off, man. Uh, I'd love them to pull it off somehow. I don't think that's the case. Let's go out to Long Island here, 516-330. You're on the air with Mike Silva. What's your name? You're on the Talking Mets podcast. Mike, how you doing? Chris the teacher. Been a while, buddy. Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? What do you got? You always have a good nugget or two for us.
1: Yes, actually. As I saw you on Twitter that you're going live, I tuned in. I'm packing up to fly to Toronto in the morning to catch – why. The Mets, because it, it was booked for a while, that's why. And I uh, yeah. actually, the guy I'm going with already bowed out of it because he didn't want to uh, take the trip to see this club. But I'm going to go and, and see the Mets north of the border for the Fourth of July because I wouldn't have it any other way.
2: Right. So what? What, what you know? You've been pretty critical of this team. Um, you know, I'll give you credit. You called in a while back. You had told us that David Wright was El Toast. So what do you? What do you got for us? Anything
1: interesting? What's on your mind? I mean, for the first time in a very long time, um, I have almost completely checked out on the club. I mean, I have become disinterested. They're just so hard to watch. Um, it's almost like I, they don't deserve my time anymore. They don't deserve a lot of our time, because if they're not going to try, why should we? I just think loading this club up uh, the way that they did, tripling down on uh, losing recipes, only, you know, you have the worst ERA in, in almost team history, and you only bring in two pitchers. You cut guys like Bradford and Smoker. Uh, you, you have an offense that was slow and unathletic, and you really only managed to make it more slow and more unathletic by signing Frazier and bringing back Bruce for some un, unbeknownst reason. Uh, once again, crowding the outfield. Um, it's just that they're not going to try. I, I wasn't going to try, so I'm really I've I, I, uh, I've checked out for the first time in a while. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to renew my season tickets. It's a statement I never thought I'd make. Uh, I've had them for about 14 years, and it's just um, – I've really checked out on them. Unless there's a major shift in mindset and a major shift in, you know, the way they carry about their business, I think they've lost me.
2: And that is interesting because – if you and you know this – the Wilpons tend to react – when those kind of things happen after 2004 with the whole Scott Casimir thing, things got ugly and they reacted and they brought Omar in and they signed Pedro Martinez and Los Mets. And you know what happened there. And then when, um, things got ugly with Tony Bernazard and Omar and Adam Rubin and all that stuff, they reacted, they fired Omar. I don't really know if Fred really wanted to fire Omar. And then the oldest scenario started. So if fans feel that way, um, you know That's a dangerous thing for an organization from a branding standpoint because checked out fans means that you, know, you can't really go into next season and necessarily build the team uh, the way you want to if you're a new GM. You may have to make a move to engage people, and that's dangerous because those moves sometimes could be just as bad as, as, as doing nothing.
1: I really don't think that you could rebuild around this club and be competitive. I think that you really need a complete blow-up. I think that you got to trade the ground while you can right now before the deadline. I think you have to trade. You have to hope Syndergaard has a great second half when he comes back because you can't trade him now on a low value. I mean, the guys had what nineteen something starts since two thousand since the wild card game. You know, you can't. He's got yeah. no stock right now, so you got to hope he finishes strong and you, and you can move him in the off season. I really think that you need a, a complete, like I said, blow up from from the ground up. I just you just can't. The stew's rotten. It was rotten in 2016. They backed into the playoffs, which was probably the worst thing for the club long term. Because then they doubled down on it in 2017. Then they blamed the injuries and they tripled down on it in 2018. So I just, you know, who are you marketing right now? Are you marketing your frying pan right. hand shortstop? Are you marketing your 220 <laughs> outfielder that you got homegrown? I mean, who are you? Who are you well, who let you, me let mar- me ask, let me throw right you something.
2: Yeah, let me ask you something. Well, what do you think is wrong with Cespedes? You think he's got a hip problem? What do you think is wrong? With no, Cespedes? I think
1: he's, I think he's fine. I think he wants to stay by his ranch. I think he wants to stay down south. I, well, I mean, I have been all the more critical of, you know, everybody blames Ray Ramirez. And I was first on your pod talking, telling you that it wasn't a Ray Ramirez problem. I told you it was Mike Barber's problem. Well, Ray Ramirez is gone. The misdiagnoses are still happening. The, the, the poor right. intel on injuries, they're still happening. Uh, the, the rash of core injuries, they're still happening. But Mike Bar was still as a job, and somewhere, rear Ramirez is giggling at everybody. The guy that gets booed on right. opening day, you know, in twenty seventeen, uh, a, a vested, uh, a vested MLB employee on an MLB pension, you know, he's, who's really laughing now because it's, it's him. Because it's no, everything, all the problems are still happening.
2: Right. No, that's fair. So, any, any advice for any fans going to Toronto? Have you been there before? I know you're, you you traveled to a ton of ballparks before I let you go. No, what do you got for uh, the listeners out there?
1: This is a new one. This is uh, third to last for me next year. I'm hoping to finish off all 30 i and hopefully hit Kansas City and Chicago when they come back uh, to the AL Central. But this will be, it's actually the 35th park for me and like the 27th city. So uh, this is brand new for me. Just make sure if you're traveling tomorrow that you got your passport. That's really the best advice I can give you.
2: Yeah, and get TSA pre check That's all I can say. If you have that, get in and out. It'll, it'll be a lot. Real quick, what's your uh, what's the best ballpark you've seen the Mets at so far in the last couple of years? I know you've done a ton of uh, road trips.
1: Yeah, so uh, I have to say, uh, last couple of years, best one that I've been to, you got to do St. Louis or Colorado. I think those have to be on your uh, to-do list. I mean, Colorado, um, it's an incredible backdrop, and so is St. Louis, and both of them have, what the Mets don't have is an amazing atmosphere around the ballpark. Like and I always if you're gonna visit yeah. a ballpark, I always say you gotta do two games. One game, buy cheap seats, walk around, see everything, and then your other game, you know, splurge a little bit, get your close seats. Um this way you can get the full experience of the ballpark in two games. That's that's the best advice I can give.
2: Awesome stuff. Well, enjoy Toronto, enjoy the baseball and we'll catch up. Thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it.
1: I don't know if it's really baseball, but at least the Blue Jays will be playing it. Thanks, buddy.
2: <laughs> hey, take care. And you'll
1: get to see Jose
2: Bautista return home. Who knows about that? So Chris, the teacher from Mets Online, good stuff. The number is 646-716-8187. Definitely would love to hear from everybody. Uh, got some more calls on the line. And so far, look, hey, you know, I appreciate the Tebow call. I know that was a joke. Uh, guys, do me a favor. Just... You want to go back and forth. Just keep it clean. Try not to ruin the whole thing. I, I here's the best thing. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. I know I sound like Francesca here, which is driving me crazy. I just want to have a guys nice, clean podcast for those people listening. I really want to hear what you guys thoughts are. Uh, and Chris, really, and I got to get into this. Maybe I'll do that after the break because I want to take some calls. Got into the whole you can't rebuild with this team, and it, there is a fair point on that because I was looking at the free agent list. I just have a hard time giving up on young, still in prime, controllable pitching. I, I almost as a GM would love the challenge to say, what can I make out of these guys? Almost like a college two-year window. What can I make out of these guys to try to get them into the playoffs? Because in a short series, the Mets are a dangerous team with that pitching and and with Degrom and and Syndergaard. Again, assuming Syndergaard is healthy. I know that's kind of a big assumption. Uh, I, I just think they're very dangerous. So let me go to the phone lines we've got. Let's go over to new. I think the New Jersey nine zero eight area code nine zero eight five four eight. You're on the air with Mike Silva. What's your name? You're on the air. Hey Mike,
1: this is Andrew Herbs. How you doing? Great show.
2: Hey Andrew, what's going on, man?
1: Hey Mike, so I want to ask you about a uh, Jeff McNeil. Uh, what are your thoughts about when he's when is he going to come up and, and what is your thoughts on his ceiling? Like what kind of uh... Who is he compared to among uh, among guys in the big leagues?
2: Well, I think he's going to come up. I think you'd agree when Cabrera is traded, which I would assume right. would be soon. As far yeah. as a comp, I haven't seen a comp, but, but here's what I did read. And, and if you, if you, if, I'm sure you do, you're over at Metspires online. Michael Mayer yes. is a great guy to uh, follow. You hear some conflicting reports about his defense uh, right. The bat, which was big at AA, uh, seems to be playing well in the Pacific Coast League. But if his floor is a bench player, to me, um, you know that's the way to go. And I guess here's the thing. If he can hit, and he seems to be able to hit in the same kind of sphere as Cabrera, can he really be any worse with range defensively? I think Cabrera's okay with the hands, and he, and he can turn to double play, but I think you'd agree Cabrera's range is, is really bad. I think he, they, oh, I think they've lost already- some games. Yeah, I think they've lost some games. I particularly remember a game in Atlanta earlier this year when Familia uh, came in. I think there was like a, a, a double, the ground ball double that he couldn't get to, maybe Tyler Flowers, and I think that just showed you the guy can't get to anything if it's hit hard, uh, you know, to his right or even to his left. So um, I would say that. Sounds like you're excited about Jeff McNeil, huh?
1: Yeah, okay. just to have some just to have some youth because I, I just think he's one of these guys, he could be a sleeper. He's not a... He's, I mean, I I know he's 26, but he lost two years because of injury, so he's really really only, like, 24. And um, also about Alonzo, what are your thoughts on Alonzo? Well,
2: to me, I'd wait to see, and I know he struggled a little bit in AAA. I'd wait to see when he's exactly ready. I I think the thing that – and you don't hear a lot uh, about him from scouts. Like, what are they – what do they think about it? Now, right now, I'm bringing him up. He's uh, right. He's hitting 212 in Vegas with three home runs. After they all came in the same same game. He struck out 17 times in 64 at-bats. But but here's the interesting part. I mean, the Mets, I mean, there's always the, the cynic that's going to say, hey, they're not bringing him up because they don't want to start the clock, and that may be possible. They also may not want to bring him up because they have Flores, who they maybe wanted to trade, maybe Dom Smith, things like that. But you haven't heard what scouts have said about his readiness and crushing double-A Eastern League pitching is one thing. Um, he's not hitting the Pacific Coast League, which is the next level up. I worry, like, why is there not a lot of talk about how ready he is? It's almost like Rosario. Everyone had Rosario on numbers, but now you see Rosario in person at the big league level, and I think you'd agree, Andrew. I mean, I don't think Rosario really is ready, especially, well, at least offensive. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that concerns me. But, hey, listen, thanks for the call. Interesting stuff, and I think – Andrew brings up some great points. I mean, McNeil and Peter Alonzo, I think, are guys that Mets fans are going to be pining for, especially McNeil. And McNeil, personally, and, and I'm trying to bring him up here. And I know we have some calls on line. I do want to take a break here, um, gather myself, and get people. By the way, the number is 646-716-8187. Um, hope to hear from you. I'm trying to find Jeff McNeil. Yeah, Jeff McNeil. There you go. So, um, Jeff McNeil I was spelling his name wrong. Um, so Jeff McNeil is hitting three he He's got an OPS over 1,000. So far between AA and AAA, he's got 16 homers, 55 RBIs. I guess the only concern, he's 26 years old, Jeff McNeil. He's never come close to showing this kind of power. Um, I mean, he's a career minor league, all levels, you know, over 300 hitter. Most of his home runs have come this year. I guess power comes late, so he's not young, but um you know, I haven't seen him enough, but to me, you know if this guy is a bench player, then why the hell not? I mean he's a lefty batter, throws right he could seems like he could play three positions. he's got to be better right now than Jose Reyes in terms of offensive production uh you know that's what I would say about that, and uh you know as far as Alonzo. Uh, you know, I just don't hear a lot of people talk about, is he ready? Why is he down there? What are they seeing? You know, that's something that I'm going to have to do a little poking around on that um, and see what the deal is. I have some ideas of who I could call, but not always easy to get people on the phone. All right, let's go. Uh, this looks like a private call, so hopefully I'm not going to get duped here. I always hold my breath when someone doesn't show their number. It could be a Skype line private call. You're on the air with Mike Silva. How are you? What's your name? You're on the Talking Mets podcast. Hey, how you doing? It's
4: Alex. I um, you know, just hey, Alex. Looking at this this Mets team, and obviously if you go back before 2017, there was a tremendous amount of expectations, at least to be a playoff contender. Uh, this year, the same thing. You know, everyone felt rejuvenated by Callaway. But when you see every year, and it's been two decades, where the word significant underperformance has been used for every team Jose Reyes is on. So you have to ask yourself, why does that continue to happen? As an athlete, you can either overperform, perform to your abilities, or overachieve. We saw the Twins overachieve last year. We're seeing teams every year do that. There is a reason why an athlete will underachieve. It can be something in their personal life. It can be the environment, a toxic environment, whether it's the type of players or the manager. But the reality is, when you have the same results for every team this guy is on, that's not a coincidence. When you look at Ahmed Rosario, he's a top prospect just like Akuna or Andohar. All those guys who are not around Reyes are performing well. Yet the one guy who's around the guy that no team has been able to win with in decades is the same guy that's underachieving. So, my question is, is that when this continues to happen, at what point does that become a concern? That collapse in 2007, the reason they collapsed was because they lacked an urgency. Okay, Billy Wagner said there was a lack of focus, lack of preparation. Where did that come from okay where that that came something well their pitching was class.
2: was shot right to, but the point the is pitching why was they, shot yeah
4: but but if you're not focused you're not going to execute pitches as well if you're not making wise decisions on pitch selection, there's a and, and you, you really focus.
2: think right, and I look I hear you on the race look I I what, know that the what race, I'm saying but is, you really think Reyes I, has that kind of power on the whole yes thing.
4: and here's why. When he showed up, guys started bleaching their hair for the first time. What that showed you is that there was an influence. So, therefore, that's all mental, okay? When you bleach your hair, something told – that's a personality, right? These guys, Cabrera and Cespedes, never in their life bleached their hair. When they start bleaching their hair, that tells you that there's a culture change. I brought up to you before that the Mets fell to 60 and 62 a month and a half after Reyes showed up in 2016. That was a red flag that something from a chemistry standpoint changed, that what we saw in that span to go from eight games over 500, remember they swept the Cubs four games, they had a big comeback and met Matt Harvey's Mm -hmm. final game that year, and then they started losing after Ray showed up, that we were going to see that type of baseball over a full season. What happened was when Cessna's returned late August, obviously he was playing for a contract, the season was already almost over. So that mindset that the players felt, knowing that the season's almost over, knowing how every game is, is precious, it, it almost mitigated that unhealthiness that was there. But you start a freshman season with this guy in the locker room and spring training, it creates a culture. We've seen a tremendous amount of things happen since then. We saw the Mr. Met, that incident. We saw that inappropriate object in the locker room. These are all things that happen over time when you create a toxic culture. Toronto Blue Jays were under five hundred with Reyes, and they get him out of the locker room. And remember, he was known to be a big influence. Guys like Bautista and Carnacion, they were big friends with Reyes. They started to win. They went to the ALCS two years in a row. So when you're getting that same result, and there isn't even one case where a team overperformed with him, not even one time, and it's two decades of the same result, that is a very big issue. And that's why when you look at this team, this team is where they are because of one reason, guys have underperformed. Their season was lost when they were losing all those close games to the Orioles, the Braves, guys weren't producing, guys like Frazier, Bruce, Conforto. If these guys were just performing 70% of the back of their baseball card. This team would easily be 10 games better. I don't know if that's because
2: of Reyes, though. I don't know if that's
4: because of I don't know. the (laughs) fact, you either have an ability or you don't. The Toronto Blue Jays in 2013 were picked to win 94 games by Bleacher Report. Many other places picked them to win the division. They ended up finishing in last place. So if you have an ability and you're not performing, there's a reason for that. So you look deeper and you see a guy that acts unprofessional in the locker room, that posts videos before games. You see guys start bleaching their hair. We see guys laughing in the dugout. So, therefore, my point is, as an athlete, it's not just about effort. A big part of it is the mindset, okay? If you if you even take a little that. bit for, for granted, for example, that collapse in 07, they took it for granted that they had that big lead. That mindset, that change of mindset right there can trigger a collapse because once you let your guard down even a little bit, even if you're giving full effort, you don't have that proper edge that you need to play or that type of intensity needed, things spiral, and that's what's happened. All these games that they've lost, it can come down to one less pitch that you executed. It can come down to one less at-bat that you executed. All those games make a difference. I mean, you look at all these games, whether it's a familiar blown save, it could be one pitch on an 0-2 count. Instead of giving them the pitch in the dirt, he gives them the pitch over the plate. The point is, is that when you have a guy that's always laughing around guys, what it does is you lose an edge. When the Mets got Cespedes, it wasn't just his production. He brought an edge to a team. When you're enjoying what you're doing, you're going to be more successful. When they got Cespedes, it changed the culture. It changed the feel. He made guys better. And because of that, guys are coming to work with an edge, everything you're doing, there's a different level to your play, and it just it brings out the most out of you. When you have a guy like Ray in, in, in your locker room, Things start to disaster, and that's why we've seen everywhere this guy goes, it's disaster. There are 35 games under well, 500 since he returned two years ago.
2: Well, thank you, Alex, for the call. Uh, I know you don't like Reyes. I understand what you say about culture and focus, and I agree. And look, this is where – and I, I think I saw my buddy Rich Catino, who's probably on WLAE right now, uh, if you want to pop over at some point after this is over, till 10 o'clock. I, I don't want to blame Reyes for all that stuff. And we're, I'm not going to go back to 2007 because I've spoken to Rick Peterson about those years, and um, you know, part of that was those teams might have not might not have been as good as we all thought. Uh, this is where, and again, you guys get all on my case, and I know I have the phone lines. I don't want to, you know, go too bananas here and get into this, but uh, this is where you guys get on my case about Mickey Calloway me defending Mickey Calloway. I'm not defending Mickey Calloway. What I'm saying about Mickey Calloway is. The culture is his responsibility. There does seem to be, and Rich tweeted about this yesterday because he was in the locker room earlier in the week in the series against the Pirates, that uh, there's a malaise. And that's the manager keeping things going. Uh, Mickey is a process guy. He's very methodical. I don't think he's a guy that's going to go in and fire the troops up. Uh, He's going to be going out there, trying to put the best lineups out there, trying to stay uh, you know, focused and and, and very. Pro- it seems like he's a very process oriented guy, and I think that's what annoys the fan base. I think they see a guy that's not inspiring them, is not uh, making them feel rah rah, and they automatically say, well, he's not a New York guy. The real winners in baseball are process teams that go out there, stay focused on their roles individually, um, and go out there execute them to the best of their uh, ability. It's not about liking each other. About coming into a team, knowing your role, knowing what that role is, and, and embracing it, being a good soldier when you're in between those lines, and all of a sudden you wake up, you've won 95 ball games, you go to the playoffs. Jose Bautista, here's a guy that came in, former star, seems to be okay with his role. I know that one of the reasons why he probably came here is that he wanted to play three, four times a week, because in his opinion, it's not worth him coming out of semi retirement to not play and and sit at the end of the bench and essentially do what Reyes did. But to the point, Alex, before I get back to the lines, I get you don't like Reyes. I, I see the tweets and all that stuff. You have a lot of data on this whole thing. Reyes, to me, out of all the things that are wrong with the Mets, Reyes is so far down the list. If he was that bad of a clubhouse guy, I honestly don't believe he'd be on the team. I know that the Wilpons get very sentimental about former especially homegrown players stars i just don't see Alderson allowing that i don't see collins allowing that uh, and i have a feeling with mickey calloway coming in brand new he wouldn't have wanted them on the team so um, you're using numbers you're using situations you're making a correlation i'm not quite sure it's there but i do agree with what you said that about culture and about focus is a big thing and my bigger concern is, is that if these guys have checked out and they're going to go through the motions the rest of the year, then that becomes a, a reflection on Callaway. And more importantly, these three GMs, they have to figure out who those guys are and get them out of here because you don't want an Alonzo. You don't want a McNeil. You don't want a Nimmo. You don't want Conforto. You don't want these guys to start falling into that. You want this team to go out there, and it's going to be about how they play. I know you guys all laughed about Callaway talking about wins and losses don't matter because you can't control that. All you could control is the process, and, and, and part of that is these guys coming to play, and coming to play and maximize their particular role within that team. And if they're just going to go in, go through the motions, not put the work in, uh, you know, half ha- half it, you know, I can't say the real word, half masked it all the time, then yeah, you got a problem there. So we got a seven zero four area code seven zero four nine six six. What's your name? You're on the Talking Mets podcast.
5: Yeah, my name's Bob. How are we doing, Mike?
2: Hey, Bob. What's going on?
5: Uh, I was just wondering if the Mets. Uh, you know, I, I feel the same way you feel about it as far as the Grom and synagogue. You got to try to keep them. I'm 55. I'm an old-time Met fan. But uh, my question was: Is are the Mets going to chins out? Come when they go trade, like they did last year. As far as not eating salary, or are they going to eat some of the salaries probably to get better prospects? I mean, we got the three-headed monster. I just wanted your opinion on that.
2: That's a great question. Thanks for the call, Bob. Well, historically, um, budget and payroll has been a big deal for the Wilpons and for this team. And I don't know where they are with their budget, and I don't know uh, know, how that is going to play out. History tells me that they're not going to want to eat any money. And in this day and age of extreme analytical evaluations of players. Sometimes it's about, I'll give you the best prospects, but I need you to pick up money. I'm not going to do both. I'm not going to pick up the money and give you the best prospects. So what's the balance here? We don't know what the trades could have yielded if the Mets had picked up money last year. We don't know that. They seem to have gotten, with Drew Smith and the Lucas Duda trade, a decent arm. Uh, We'll see what Ryan Ryder, who is the guy, they, you know, the pitcher they got, In the Jay Bruce trade, I know that there's been talk of they could have done better with the Yankees if they had picked up money. And I think part of that is principle with the Mets not wanting to pick up money for the Yankees. Uh, The names I've heard thrown around are Jay Cave, an outfielder who's in Minnesota now, and Domingo Herman, who you guys have seen. I don't know if that's true. Those are the names that I heard could have been coming back to the Mets for Bruce. But who knows? So to answer your question, Bob, I have a feeling they're not going to want to pick up salary. Will that impact them getting the best prospects? Sure. Now, I would hope that an Omar Minaya will turn around, and this is where maybe Omar could have a different way of handling Fred Wilpon because as time went on, you know, maybe Sandy's method of handling the Wilpons, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, and maybe not that he had contempt for him, but it, it's like the, the sales pitch dulls on that and it doesn't have the same impact now omar's coming back in and i'll say one thing and and i got to get back to the phone lines omar is good at scouting i think omar's good at kind of jumping in and going after the big fish the big game hunting omar is not good at running an organization and that's coming from very high up in the mets organization that was told to me so the mets know that so then omar's never going to be the gm again I, i would be shocked uh, and if he is, it's going to be with somebody that's going to work with him and, and, and be able to be the process guy. And that's where this could go into a whole multiple GMs and cloudy roles and, and who knows what kind of politics. The JP Ricciardi, you know, make recommendations or do things to try to get the job. This is a, these are dangerous times because when you don't have a clear individual running things, you're prone to mistakes. And part of what happened when the Mets traded Scott Casimir is that you had some scouts in the room that had a lot of influence over the Wilpons, and that's kind of how that thing went down. And that's how the Victor Zambrano thing went down, and everybody knows how what transpired from that, and who knows what could have been. I mean, the whole course of Mets history changes if Casimir doesn't get traded, gets called up, pitches well. You know, Maybe they don't go out and they, they, they get Pedro Martinez. Maybe they're not feeling pressure to spend money on Carlos Beltran. Who knows? Um, so there's always two ways to look at it. Let's go over. I think we got New Jersey now. Seven three You're on the air, Mike Silva. What's your name? You're on the Talking Mets podcast.
1: Timothy Fifth, Jackson, New Jersey.
2: Oh, wonderful. How are you doing, Timothy? What kind of trade offer do you have for me today? are
5: uh, you? Yeah. On July 31st. The Mets portrayed trade Todd Frazier to the Angels for that's prospects Jermaine Jones and Chris Rodriguez and
1: trade – Hey, hey Timothy, Cal- let me – can I ask you, how do you get these, how do you come up just with Justin to the Orioles for Manny Machado? Oh,
2: I, I can't. I really uh, – listen, that's not the worst prank call, but, Timothy, I love the, you know, passion, and you really have these names coming out of somewhere, but I can't do it right now. All right, let me take a quick break. The number is 646. 716-8187, it's about 845, I'd love to hear your calls, I will stay little 9, maybe a little bit more, depending how the phone lines light up, again, the number is six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. also check the comment section if you want to throw something in, I would love to hear from you. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast, of course, I'm your host Mike Silva, you can check out the show all the time over at friends at medsmerizedonline.com, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast and live call-ins right after this.
1: Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage,
3: including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth
1: analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D,
2: Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back uh, in the final stretch drive here of the program. The number is 646-716-8187. Again, 646-716-8187. We've had a really good, we have had good calls tonight. uh, A lot of passion coming from you guys, good points. So I'd love to hear from anybody and we haven't had anybody get out of line and that's good. A couple of goofy calls, but anytime you have a call and show, that's, I guess part of the fun of it. And I did see some comments like this. You guys are mad that I, I, I cut off the last guy. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it's not him. I just couldn't hear it. I really couldn't hear it. Um, he makes the trades up. I know that you wanted me to get rid of the virus guy. And I get the virus guy. Who's you know, the, that's the Reyes virus guy, the guy who hates Reyes. I get that you don't like him. Uh, he, he's tough to take as well. But I, what I wanted to do out of that is get his thoughts on culture and uh, he did make listen. His point about culture wasn't bad. It was just he's boiling everything back to Reyes. So uh, you know, I just that that's just if you're going to spend your whole day boiling everything back. And I know you guys think I do that with Terry Collins, and, and maybe to a certain degree I do. But you know, that's you know, that's uh, that's part of it. So let's go back to the phone lines, uh, New Jersey again, nine seven three two eight seven. You're on the air, Mike Silva. What's your name? You're on the air.
5: Good evening, sir. This is uh, Lou Lou from across the river in New Jersey.
2: Good to hear from you. What's going on?
5: Well, although I'm not a Mets fan, I'm more of a fan of, of a certain team from the American League, but, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, like, how do you go from 11-1 and over to making playoff assumptions and then have just crashed and burned to now even below the, the Marlins? I'm like, what happened? I mean, I understand, of course, the injuries have, have plagued them, but even, you know... Like, take back to last year when the Dodgers were an injured bunch, and they still managed to make the, make the playoffs. And I think the first problem is, yeah, they have to get rid of DeGrom. I mean, he has done absolutely nothing. And I think uh, other teams are looking for a trade. So the pitching has become completely erratic.
2: So would you like I mean, DeGrom, very... DeGrom on the Yankees? Would you, like, would you like DeGrom on the Yankees?
5: If you can get, if you can get rid of Gray, Yes
2: the <laughs> Crawford. That thanks for the call. You know, you know it's funny. That's a Yankee fan call. Thanks for the call. Um, and I even looked at John Harper's r- reported trade for. And I'm going to bring this up because it's a point. And, and thanks for the call. And I, I knew that. Uh, listen, it's again. I'll take these kind of kind of calls over the crank calls. But that's that's a Yankee fan, man. That's a Yankee fan. They're watching. And I haven't even checked the score yet here. So I've been so engrossed in this podcast. See, I don't have a, a call screener, and uh, I got to do everything myself. Unlike when I do a WLIE show, so sometimes it's hard for me to do multiple things at once. I do the best I can, so that's why suddenly the Yankees are up six nothing in the second inning. So away we go there. So sometimes I know I'm maybe I'm dragging my words a little bit because I'm trying to do multiple things at once here. But I was trying to find. The John Harper Trade Proposal, and the number six four six I'm also keeping an eye on the comments section if you want to throw something in. I don't know how far down I could go, so um, <laughs> I see someone said, get rid of the Grom. He's done nothing. Um, okay, so the John Harper Trade. Where is, Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So I looked at all the trades. If you went to the New York Daily News and you looked at some of the deals that that Harper proposed and it, it, Jesus the ads I'm seeing pop up on the Daily News they're killing me here. I've never seen so many ads from a major newspaper. I know they're they're in financial distress, but Jesus. All these guys, all these guys, all these teams, the only deal that's somewhat interesting is the Braves deal. And because you get in a catcher out of the deal and a power-hitting third baseman, the pitcher's not that bad. You got a couple of pitchers. The other deals, I mean, let me tell you how bad the Yankees deal is. Brandon Drury is the guy you know, in your fantasy league, you know, there's a guy that's always trying to pawn someone off on you. The Yankees have been trying to pawn Brandon Drury off with the media's help as this like hidden gem for a while. Here's a guy that has head issues, uh, was out for a while. I understand he's sitting AAA. At this point in his career, if he's not hitting AAA, then he's in a lot of trouble. You should go down and dominate AAA. If you're anywhere near a decent major league player, you should go down to AAA for short periods and dominate. Now, if you're not really into being there and trying, then so be it. This is a below league average player for his career. Uh, his best season came in 2016, where he was a league average player. I understand he plays multiple positions: uh, second outfield, third base. You cannot t- tell me that that's a headline for a deal, Estevan Florial. He's out with a hammock bone injury, has some potential below 700 OPS this year. Justice Sheffield, good arm, walks a lot of people, understand he's a wet lefty. Tyler Wade, again, another guy, I think he's like mid twenties, he's a guy who's hitting a buck twenty-nine in his big league career. A buck twenty nine on here. I mean, two of those guys in that trade are completely worthless to the Mets. They do nothing. You could get those guys, you could get a guy like Drury. Look at the free agent market. You could get a guy like Drury this offseason if you really have to. Completely worthless. The deals from the Yankee contingent for DeGrom become worse by the day. Not even better, worse. You actually had an interesting deal that was thrown out there that was a fan rumor. They said they heard it from Steinbrenner, but let's just play it out there. It was uh, Justice Sheffield. You had uh, Gary Sanchez. And I cannot remember who the third – oh, Clint Frazier. So let's do that. Now, if the Yankees are willing to give up – and I'm bringing up baseball reference here. If the Yankees are willing to give up, Gary Sheffield, it tells you a lot about him. He's had issues in the past with effort and focus at the minor league level. He's probably not a catcher. He's probably a DH, and unfortunately, unless they know something that – we don't know, or the Mets don't know, he's not going to be helpful to the Mets of the National League as a DH. So I'm not interested there. And they already have a guy like Alonzo, if you're thinking about putting Sanchez at first base, if he can play first base, and he wants to put the time in, which historically he wasn't great at doing it at catcher. So to me, if, if that's the centerpiece of the deal, I'm, I'm not crazy about it. Clint Frazier is the best player that never plays at the big league level. And Sheffield is the same pitcher as before. If they're so hot to trot to give up players with the Yankees, knowing that they know that the players that everybody wants are Andor and Torres, don't take them. At the end of the day, the Yankees have to make a decision. And the decision is simple. Do you want to win a championship this year? And if so, you're going to have to pay for the piece you need, which is a starting pitcher. If you're willing to roll the dice, take a less than – You know, a Sunny Gray type or you know J Hap, who's still going to cost you. So in the value equation, I think J Hap's going to cost you probably pretty much what they're willing to offer for Degrom or Syndergaard, probably Degrom. I mean, I don't think is tradable right now because he's been hurt. Then they're going to trade those guys if they trade them because if they're thinking that Degrom is worth those guys, they're going to try to get less for a J Hap type. Then, you know, to me, you're just basically saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to roll the dice and the championship isn't worth it because the Yankees are probably arrogant enough to believe they're going to be there again. And maybe they will be. But listen, when you have an opportunity to get into the postseason and clearly they're better, they and the Red Sox are, and, and the Astros, those three are better than anybody else in the, in, the, in the American League. Maybe deep down they realize giving up some of these top prospects, even if they got an arm and if they got the Grom, they're putting themselves in a much better position. I don't know if they could beat Houston. That that went out the window with Jared Cole. We'll see Cole in the postseason, of course, but with Verlander and McCullers uh, and Charlie Morton, I mean, did the pitching that the Astros have, and I think they'll be able to fix the bullpen. And maybe, who knows, maybe Familia is part of that. I, that reminds me of something uh, that uh, that I wanted to bring up so So everybody was upset about Familia the other night, and they all were crazy on Callaway. And here was a couple of things that I I wanted to point out. The first thing I wanted to point out was this. If he threw 28 pitches the night before and he can't come back out and get a couple outs the day after, especially considering he hasn't really pitched a lot this year, he was out. Mm -hmm. Other teams are going to look at that, and they're not going to want to give you top Top talent from Familia. That's number one. Number two, you can't just start getting guys hot and up in the bullpen the minute there's trouble. Familia's your closer, and you got to ride with it. Now, if you want to criticize him for bringing Swarzak in, and I'll mind you, I was watching this from afar. I had to do some business out on the West Coast. I was actually in Vegas, Southwest, that really is. So I'm not really – I didn't do it live. But what drove me crazy is they acted like this was a no-brainer. You, this is what got Terry Collins in trouble, getting guys hot, not getting them in the game. A pitcher that will remain nameless, I know for a fact, was in 130-so games at 162 when you counted his warm-ups and his in-game activity one year under Terry Collins. 130 games. When you get hot, you're still throwing pitches. Your arm feels it. So, to me, that that that's why it's like they're looking for reasons to dislike the guy. And part of that is that he's not giving them any quotes. He's very methodical about his post game. He's talking about process and communication. He's talking about boring things. And you know, what they want is the Terry fake outrage flip outs. They like, you know, guys like that. That's why Girardi kind of lost them because Girardi didn't want to talk. It's being a baseball manager and going about the process of preparing for a baseball game is boring. If you read Keith Hernandez's book, and if you have it, you really should. I know there's no met stuff in it, but you really see the things he had to do to adjust and to win and compete and become who he was. It's boring stuff. Maybe that's why he got some critical comments about the book because people were looking for salacious stories and things. Well, Keith's point of the book was this is how I had to make it to the big leagues. They don't want to hear about him moving up six inches or moving back six inches on the plate and the extra batting practice. And the struggles he had at the clubhouse. That's what this is all about. A couple of minutes left here. Six four six seven one six eight one eight seven is the number. I'll leave it out there. If nobody else wants to call in, I'll wind up uh, calling it tonight. I'm checking out the comment section. Um, this was really good. And I got to tell you guys, I enjoy these so much more than when I have to put the number up there and then you guys call in and leave the message. Because I, I like the interaction. I feel the energy there. There's always a risk doing something like this that you get a, a couple of lame callers, and we did, but they were fun calls. Nobody really inappropriate. Or there's the risk that you do it and nobody calls in, which has not happened yet. Uh, and maybe we'll do another one over the All Star break or closer to the deadline and things like that. Again, I want to get more into Alderson in another podcast. I'm trying to work on a guest for this week. I'll keep you posted on that situation. Um, I'll say this, I'll leave you with this, because it looks like, again, I'll give you one more chance, 646-716-8187 is the number. I'll leave you with this. I really think that the Mets, whoever they bring in, and I think the first caller, and I can't remember his name off the bat, bat right now, off my head, made a great point. You definitely want to bring somebody from outside the organization, possibly. It sounds like, they're not going to give the job to Rico. Because I think if they were, I think he would have it already. And I have a feeling they're going to keep Omar as a key component or as an advisor, which to me is is kind of iffy because you're bringing in a former GM. It's almost like the Isaiah Thomas, Jim Dolan thing all over again. But whoever came in, I would hope, could find a way in the next two-year window. And our buddy Chris, the teacher, who's headed off to Toronto right now, did not agree with this. Can you... Bring in the players, you you know, and and here's where you might have to go. Think about this. Maybe this will open up a whole bunch of other calls. Is there a way to go to Cessna and say, it doesn't seem like you like playing here anymore. I know you're going to get paid, and we can't do anything about it because you have a no-trade clause. But what if we got you somewhere? And the tricky part is you got to get him a team whose spring training home is close to his ranch down in Florida. That's a scenario where you'd have to eat some money, and that's a scenario where you'd have to really be sure that this guy's not into it. Because if you have Conforto and Nimmo in the corners, and I'm putting a lot of stock on Nimmo being who he's been over the last couple of months. I understand he's slumping lately, but that's going to happen. Baseball's about adjustments. Maybe the dramatic shakeup in culture, to talk about what was brought up earlier, or maybe the dramatic shakeup this offseason is getting Cespedes out of here. And I'm not expecting anything back. Best case scenario, you get him out of there and you don't have to spend, uh, be on the hook for the contract because that could be a problem. Does Omar – and I know what you guys are thinking, that this is going down the Latino road. I'm not trying to be anywhere near uh, bias here. Is Omar able to communicate with him better than maybe Alderson or anybody else did? Thinking back to Los Mets, things like that. Six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. So that's something to think about. I think that's something to explore more. and we'll see, oh, got a comment in the uh, well, let's, let's go, well, before we go the comment in the comment section. Mike, if the Mets don't trade to Grom this year or offseason, what are the chances they sign into a four to five year contract? I've heard the Wilpons love the guy. Well, that's, and this is from Jennifer Carrozza over in the, I hope, Carrozza, I hope, I hope I, is it Carrozza? I hope I said your name correctly, Jennifer. I apologize if I didn't, because I know you've called in before, I believe, and you follow me on Twitter, and I really appreciate it, because you always have good, productive comments out there. He'll be, what, 32 when his contract is up. If they don't sign him to an extension before, his uh, free agent year, I don't think he'll be back. I think if that's going to happen, that's going to happen now, and that's probably something they have to start really thinking about when the new GM comes into play. You're going to have to do it within the next 12 months because if you go into the the final year and and he's a free agent and who knows how he performs at that point, I think you have a situation where it's tough to see them sign him at that point at 32, more likely to trade him, get something for him, and then that two-year window's up, and if you're not doing well and you're not contending, then you move on. I just look at it, you got two years here with these pitchers. Can, can they find a way? they got some interesting bullpen arms. They have to shore up the defense. they got to find themselves. I think the, the catching situation is a big issue because as much as Mizarako's hit, I don't think he calls a great game. I don't think he's a great framer at all. I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm sure that data would, would back that up. I like Frazier, but I think Frazier needs to be a seven-hitter and needs to be a component player in the lineup. He's way too much of an integral offensive piece here. Uh, first base is, I mean, Wilmer Flores to me is a part-time player uh, who hits lefties. Uh, he probably should be in the American League DHing. I talked about Cabrera earlier in his, in his range. I, I don't know what to tell you about uh, Rosario. He's been a big disappointment for me. I don't think he's great defensively, and... Um, uh, you know, I, I don't see anything. I mean, if he still is, is what he needs to do to learn the strike zone is going to be tough to do at the big league level at a team that in theory might be looking to compete and win and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 try to turn things around. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what uh, comes out of it. Hey, everybody, I'm going to wrap up here. Thank you so much for the calls tonight. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. I really enjoy uh, interacting with all of you. Let's do this again. Of course, I want to thank the good folks hey, over fans. at I'm gonna Online. I'm going to let you in. A wrong one. Wrong, wrong one over there. Sorry about that, guys. That's what happens when you don't pre-record. Mistakes like that happen. I want to thank over everybody over at uh, com, the good folks over at com. I want to thank everybody who called in. Of course, you can check me out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and The Grueling Truth, part of the iHeart Media Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Check me out on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media. Let me know what you think about this show. And leave me a review on iTunes. I would appreciate it. Till next week, be well. And happy Fourth of July, if I don't talk to you before then. Thanks a lot, everybody.
3: The Honda 4th
0: of July sales event has brilliant deals on our most popular vehicles like the Civic, Fit, and Pilot. It's a reason to celebrate across the country from the Liberty Bell to Hollywood and even back up to Niagara Falls. So come discover the 2018 KBB.com best overall brand during the Honda 4th of July sales event. Now at your Honda dealer. Based on
4: 2018
0: brand image awards from Cali Blue Book, visit KBB.com for more information. The Honda 4th of July sales event has brilliant deals on our most popular vehicles, like the Civic, Fit, and Pilot. It's a reason to celebrate across the country. From the Liberty Bell to Hollywood, and even back up to Niagara Falls. So come discover the 2018 KBB.com best overall brand during the Honda 4th of July sales event. Now at your Honda dealer. Based on 2018 brand image awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit KBB.com for more information.